and welcome to the Alphusaic In Review call. We're here with a wonderful content writer, Coretta Lemaitre. We're going to learn all about the first project that she did with Alphusaic, her incredible backstory and connection to the Middle East, and just have a nice chance to chat and be together. So thank you, Coretta, so much for being here. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to, to learn more about the Nabataean community and civilization that you wrote about. Thanks, Ben and Megan. Yes, I am excited to talk about it. Uh, the Nabataeans were a nomadic Arabic and Aramaic speaking civilization between the 4th century BCE and 106 CE. They were renowned for their wealth, trade, political independence, and ingenious engineering. In spite of the massive growth of their civilization, believed to have stretched from Damascus in the north to Hegra in the south, many questions remain about the origins of the Nabataeans and their territorial isolation. As the Nabataeans grew in wealth and influence, they came into contact with the Romans, Seleucids, and Parthians, among others. They successfully warded off attacks until the Romans annexed the empire in 106 CE. Right off the bat, I just, I have so many questions. I'm so excited, but Coretta, just tell us a little bit about the process and what you learned here. Yeah, there's a lot here. I guess a little bit about why I even started researching the Nabataeans. Um, I lived in Jordan for over a year. I just kept coming back to to Amman. It's a you know it's a beautiful city for anyone who's lived there. I'm, you know what I'm talking about. The food is incredible. The people are amazing. And um, Petra is the incredible city, of, a wonder of the world that's in in Jordan and was actually the main capital of the Nabataean civilization. So the Nabataeans had two main capitals. One that's in, in Jordan is Petra and the other is in Saudi Arabia. And we can chat about that. Um, and I went back at least three or four times just to see the, the incredible sculptures and take the tours and learn all about their engineering because um, it's mind blowing what they were able to do in the middle of the desert. So that's a little bit of why um, when Ben asked me which one I would like to research, that's, I hopped on the Nabataeans right away. Yeah, incredible. Uh, you know, our, our Civilizations 101 series, um, just for full context, is a chance to sort of highlight the many, many, many empires and uh, civilizations and communities that make up the ancient and, and pre-modern uh, aspects of the Middle East. And so we have currently 72 different ancient empires all over the geographic Middle East and North Africa or Swana region. And um, just like Megan wonderfully read, the first intro is 101 words. Each section is only 101 as just an overview. Um, so I kind of want to ask you, Credit, you know, how was that process? There's so much incredible aspects of the Nabataeans and we give you a very tight word limit. <laughs> how did that feel? What did you learn from? All of that good stuff. It is. And you find yourself reading you know, watching documentaries and reading so many articles and wondering how you can do an entire civilization justice um, yeah. in 808 words and then in that 101 word introduction. Um, and it boils down to um, you can't, but hopefully <laughs> as a writer, you have a sense for how do I draw in um, people who are interested in this and give them a little bit of a taste as to what makes this um, civilization so unique so that they know where to look and kind of some of the main um, main interesting things that come across your path. So I hope that as you're reading this and we'll chat about you know some of the details that I left out too, um, there's a lot that you can put in there, but it's kind of fun choosing how to tell the story. Yeah, for sure. I kind of just want to dive right in because I've had this question since you said it, you know, 10 seconds ago. But <laughs> if they had two different capitals, did they have those capitals at the same time? Did they move around? What was that like? Um, the So the Nab Nabataeans originally were a nomadic tribe. 
So there's a lot of nomadic um, groups of individuals in the Arab region, and especially in, in the past. And over time, as they established their wealth, really through trading, through controlling trade routes, that's when they established their first capital in Petra. Um, and Petra was, before that was actually populated by the Edomites. And as the Nabataeans grew in wealth and power, they, they settled there as well. And the second city um, in, in modern day Saudi Arabia wasn't until later. Um, so that was kind of closer to the end of the empire after they'd already established themselves in Petra. So what was so important about Petra? I feel like everybody's kind of bopping around Petra at the time. And I mean, for anyone who looks it up on Google or anyone who's actually been, like you said before, the the engineering feats are just absolutely astounding and breathtaking. I think that it's so insane. Um, I remember walking around there when I traveled to Jordan and I was just kind of like, I have no idea how anybody did this, you know? That wasn't the Nabataeans, yeah. was it? They, you no, know, they did. They built a lot of that. Um, so for, you know, if anyone's been in Jordan, just to jog your memory, or if you've seen pictures of the treasury, so the front of Petra, the entire city is carved into stone. So instead of building, you know, stones on top of each other, there's actually, you know, buildings and, and caves and everything just in the walls of the city. And it's absolutely mind blowing um, how they were able to create this. So why Petra is a really good question. And historians haven't fully answered that one because it's a little bit confusing in terms of access to water. The Nabataeans, you know, the Edomites before that chose Petra. First of all, it's very naturally protected. So that's one argument as to why they did, you know, fortify it further. But one of the ideas is really that it was really well protected and it was close to those trade routes. So they may not have had water, but it was really important to be on those trade routes for the access to, to everything that eventually made them so wealthy. Um, and the way that the Nabataeans got around the problem of water is through the engineering. They built these incredible cisterns so that they wouldn't have to trade water and instead could be self-contained and self-sustained, um, which helped them actually become a lot more successful than some of their counterparts. I have so many wonderful memories at Petra, especially with you, Coretta, while we were studying abroad in <laughs> Jordan together. Um, I think that was both of our second or third times at Petra itself. And, and there's just so many things to discover there. I think, you know, it's a wonder of the world and so deservedly so for this, the, you know, kind of radical way of doing engineering. Most civilizations in the entire globe is stacking a thing on top of another thing. Um, but the Nabataeans carved, I, I'm still just so shocked every time I go there of the thought process, the, the sculpturalness, the, you know, how, how massive these things are. They're, you know, 50, 60 plus feet tall and have such incredible artistry. It's yeah. incredible. I'm, I'm so, so happy you chose that, you know, as a physical expert <laughs> spending over a year of your own life in Jordan and exploring that place as well. It's so incredible. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, there was also uh, one tour guide I had that was talking about how it's considered the Rose City by some because of the beautiful color of the sands and the sandstone and the different, um, just the different parts of the city. And for those who you know visited Jordan or other other countries that make those beautiful sand art pictures, the sand from Petra is really well known for its beautiful tint that it adds to that art. So I thought that was really cool. I definitely took home some art from that and have it on my mantle. <laughs> you just have sand on your mantle? Of course I do. Yeah, we actually <laughs> got we got a portrait of my dog at the time in sand. 
Whoa. Very cool. You can do really cool things to say. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to share that with us 100% later. I will, I will. We'll post it on your, on the website or something. Yeah, you can talk about the history of, and the importance of your sand dog. Um, That's so funny. (laughs) So for those of you who don't go on our website yet uh, and who haven't perused the different civilizations, we have a bunch of different sections. The one that I just read to you before was the intro, but we also have Inception Decline, Allies and Rivals, Modern Influence, Ruling System, History, Key Accomplishments, and Economics. So, Coretta, what was your favorite one out of all of that? Oh, that's, that's a tough question there. <laughs> should have warned me about what was that the hard, here, how about, What was the hardest to write about? Mm. Well, I will give you my favorite one. Um, and that was definitely economics because of these trade routes that the Nabataeans controlled. And, you know, they, they were the target of a lot of envy because of how well they were able to control these trade routes and how wealthy they got. Um, and after they were, you know, they kind of slowly came under the control of the, the Romans and then finally were completely under the control of the Romans. Um, the Syrian city of Palmyra became that main trading hub. And it's just fascinating to think that everything kind of shifted away from this incredibly successful empire in terms of their trade route and how that how that was rerouted. So that was really cool to read and write about. Um, but the hardest part I would say is the ruling system. You know, I think a lot of um, writing about this kind of thing is having a sensitivity to who is writing the narrative about a civilization. And when it comes to the ruling system, it really, it really matters who's writing the story, right? Is it is it the powerful? Is it somebody with certain interests? And most of what's written about the ruling system in um, in the Nabataean Empire is by one main historian. His name is Strabo. Um, and so that was interesting to kind of navigate, but what stories are not being told? And ultimately, what can we or can we not learn about this? I love that point because a lot of our more or less well-known empires um, and those content writers are having some trouble finding uh, uh, sources to even get to the 101 words of, you know, how are these conversations and, and civilizations written about by their allies and rivals as a section as also in historians today. So thank you for that. We know that 101 words does not do any of these 72 empires justice and, and we're well aware, but we really structured it um, to have all of the 101 sections really be an introduction for those who, you know, don't know all 72 empires to learn about the rest, but also just to, you know, be engaged with the different dimensions that make up the modern Mina Swana region. So, you know, definitely if you have more content and we'll definitely chat about some of the things you left out to do a full Nabataean article separately. Yes. And several of our writers have done that. One of my absolute favorite articles on our website is an interactive map of some of the ancient cities throughout the region, which make up the majority of the ancient empires, Petra very much being on that map. Um, so it's a little bit more uh, than the one-on-one words. But yeah, I just, that, that's why we have it set up that way. It's a chance just to get people's feet wet, learn about, you know, what is the Nabatine? I know Petra is a wonder of the world, but why is it so great? And, and who made it? And, and what is their economic, you know, all of the eight dimensions that we have. So Thank you, first and foremost, for, for taking the challenge so successfully. You, we, we use the Nabataean as one of our samples for all of our future writers to come. So thank you for <laughs> writing such a solid piece. But yeah, I'm curious about the pieces you, you left out um, and, and what uh, more there is to learn about the Nabataean Empire. Ooh, there's a lot. As you said, you know, there's, there's so much, but this, um, those eight sections really do give you a great introduction into it. And as somebody who's been interested in learning about the Nabataeans for a really long time, it gave me the opportunity to 
kind of dig into it in a way that I normally wouldn't have. So um, that was really fun. Let's see. I definitely, I didn't go into detail about any of the, maybe one, but any of the wars between the Nabataeans and other tribes around them. Partially because, you know, you just can't fit that in. And partially because it's very hard to know, you know, what the whole story is. I do think it's really interesting, though, that the Nabataeans were able to be so independent and successful. And we're able to maintain all these trade relations. So with the Romans, for example, they did, they did pick the wrong side in the war um, when they sided with the Parthians, I guess you could say, because uh, when they lost, they had to make an agreement with the Romans and actually had to pay tribute to them. And that weakened their empire. Um, but up till then, they were very successful at warding off attacks. So I, I didn't really go into detail as much about, you know, the structure of their military or how they were able to do that. Um, the other thing is also their their religions and their different uh, religious practices. I did read a bit about, um, apparently they had a, a multitude of deities that were worshipped um, in the Nabataean Empire. And I didn't have as much of an opportunity to, to read into those, but that's definitely something I would love to, you know, either if I write about it or another content writer wants to get into that, that would be definitely very interesting to learn about. So talk to me a little bit more about the king of the Nabataeans, because I'm checking out this history section and I'm absolutely fascinated. You said that the ruling system was a little complicated to write about, but I want to hear a little bit more about how you how you navigated the muddy waters of doing history into an ancient empire and then also talking about the rulers and, and the perspectives that you found in your research. So what I what I read, I think based on Strabo's accounts is that the Nabataeans were governed by a king and a royal family. So generally that was their, their overarching structure. And then it seemed like kind of going down into how local governance was organized. It was a bit more equal in terms of uh, women ruling as independent monarchs as well. And, and the entire, organized, uh, entire empire was really well-organized militarily. So there was really strong infrastructure in terms of that. I had one point that I really wanted to mention about this, about the ruling system. Oh yeah, the kings. So the kings that I decided to mention is there's a couple that really stood out for expanding the empire. You know, uh, King Aretas III expanded the territory that they controlled more than any other king had. So the empire was really able to control those key trade routes that produce the civilization's wealth. So that was a that was an important one to mention. And then the next king, King Aretas IV, I believe, is the one who's really um, renowned for a lot of the political and cultural changes that happened after that. So I highlighted those two in uh, in my 101. Fascinating. That's just so cool to learn even more about it. I've the, the little bit of studying I did was just about the city of Petra itself. Um, and I know that there's, there's a similar Nabataean city in Saudi Arabia. Do you know a bit more about that city and, and its you know importance as a second capital? Yeah, I don't know as much about it. I wish I did. Um, so that city, in Medan al-Saleh, my beautiful pronunciation, I'm sure of that one. Um, but it, if you translated that into English, you could um, say, so Medan is cities and Saleh means righteous. Um, and that is a city that like Petra is also really known for the incredible stone carvings and how just beautiful and mind-blowing the city is. And I, you know, it's at the top of my list to visit. They came to the second city or made it their second capital after Petra. So that was, I believe at the 
beginning of the common era is when they made that their second capital. And you mentioned that they were had all these wars going on. There was a lot of, um, I don't know, skirmishes, I would probably say. There's lots of skirmishes naturally when you have an ancient empire and you're trying to move around and you're nomadic and that's just going to happen. Um, but what kind of influence did the Nabataeans have on their neighbors and what kind of influence did the neighbors have on them? Mm-hmm. I mean, thinking as like an, an empire that is so reliant on trade, their relationships were so important. So I, you know, as perhaps I'm stepping outside of my research here, but it's so important in that kind of an, a situation to kind of resolve your issues diplomatically rather than, than, than risk your trade routes. And so a lot of those things were really resolved um, without violent attacks. And the ones that did attack the Nabataean Empire were very um, ineffectual, largely because Petra is very well protected and because they were really well organized militarily. Um, so one of the uh, interesting attacks was um, in about, uh, I think that was 312 BCE, um, when the Seleucid king Antigonus attacked Petra. So he he went in and some accounts say he completely failed, didn't even manage to, to attack the city. There's also some accounts that say that that's not true. So don't really know um, which of these are ultimately the whole truth. Um, those other sources claim that he was able to loot the city. And then when he was going back through the desert, they caught up with him and the loot slowed him down and they were able to defeat the military as they were leaving. So who knows the full story? I would love to know it. Um, But either way, they were not successful ultimately in that attack on the Nabataeans. And you mentioned that the military was so well organized. Do you, I mean, how much do you know about that? I'm not trying to grill you on military strategies and tactics, but it is something that I'm kind of like, how did it work? <laughs> Very little, but this is actually something I was trying to find uh, more information about. I I hadn't yet. Okay. You know, I am happy to follow up. We can do some <laughs> Nabataean military. Yeah, um, Nabataean military, oh, Nabataean yeah. deities. Like, I want to know it all. This is so amazing. I absolutely... Really? Love. And I know, Ben, you're just like getting so excited, but this is exactly why we did Civilizations 101. We ran through country profiles. We had so much fun doing that. And going back through these civilizations, like you and Coretti, you can you can jump in here as well. But for Ben and myself, like we we tapped on a couple of them, you know, maybe like five here and there where someone in some history book at some point would be like, oh, well, like this is this because of these guys, you know? And like, nobody really dives into that. But I think that understanding civilizations is so important for understanding the history of the region. I mean, it's so fascinating anyway, as everyone can see from this call, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the the trade routes routes alone, the huge technological advances that we all love, enjoy today, coffee. I mean, these little things all began in, in these ancient empires. And so um, just thank you for, for sharing this knowledge with, with the community and world. I mean, again, I would consider all of us pretty well connected to the Nabataeans. We've all spent a lot of time at Petra and, and yet there's so many cool things to learn. I had no idea about the, their military might. I just knew they were great traders. So it makes sense that they have the two. Um, I want to chat a little bit about the like like uh, unearthing of, of Petra's ruins, because that's still an ongoing process today. Um, you know, there's the, the the two biggest parts, the treasury and the monastery, kind of the two edges, you could say, of Petra that are the, the things you have seen before, if you've ever seen images of Petra. Um, but I'm curious, do you, do you know much about the modern excavation process or all the other wonderful sites of Petra by any chance? I, I don't. I do know 
a number of people who've gone to Jordan specifically to be part of these projects yeah. of in, in Patron, yeah, you're nodding. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool projects still going on um, where these civilizations are being discovered, which is one of the coolest projects that I think you could be part of. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll have to have one of those on to talk about what it's like to be part of a, a group that's discovering part of a civilization. That's really not there's something so I've done many good yet, ideas maybe. for like new articles coming out all of a sudden. <laughs> I love this. I love it so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I remember so uh, my second the... time. In... Go, go ahead, Greta. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to to nerd out a little bit about these Please. about the trade routes since I know you both have not had a chance to read the article, um, and maybe for other people too. What drew me in originally? Um, after I, you know, I knew about Petra. But then when I started reading about this was the instance routes. So these that's what the trade routes were called. Okay. And it's mind blowing to me just how long these trade routes were because they connected, I mean, China, India, Egypt, Syria, Greece, and Rome, these were massive trade routes. And what they were trading is, you know, for me, maybe not something that I would have thought of initially because it's things like spices, um, frankincense, sugar, animals and perfumes, you know, all kinds of things that they were able to transport along these routes. And, you know, and that's where they were able to become one of the most powerful civilizations at that point in time. So it was just really interesting to know what was moving and who was all involved in that, because that's a lot of relationships that they were able to build over time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think one of the interesting things that I, from you know, going over this article with you, when Rome took over, were they, were the Nabataeans easily folded into Romans all of a sudden, or was it kind of like a big struggle? Because I would imagine that if you are from the Nabataean empire, you know, and you've got, you've got like a really big name around the region and you have a lot of people who are doing a lot of trade with you, Rome can't just take that over and be like, boom, you know, slap a sticker on it. It's ours now. How did that go? Yeah, no, that was definitely over a period of time. Um, and I'm sure there's, you know, important pieces of what affected their power um, that, I, that I'm leaving out. But one of the things was the, was siding with the Parthians in the war with Rome. So after, you know, during all that chaos in Rome, the Parthians decided to, to start this war and the Nabataeans sided with them. And when the Parthians then lost, the Nabataeans had to pay tribute. So that already kind of reduced the amount of independence that they had from Rome. And then what happened over time, I'm not exactly sure. I think the fact that trade was rerouted to Palmyra affected their strength. I know that also one of their leaders, maybe their final king, made an agreement with Rome that they would be either fully part of, of Rome or partially a part of Rome after he died. So I think over time, they, they lost a lot of their influence. Yeah, I mean, one of the going a little bit back, not to the archaeological aspects today, but just of its like preservation in general. I mean, you've mentioned Palmyra a bunch of times, and, and that site has been um, not as well kept up uh, for a whole bunch of reasons we won't get into. But I think that's one of the reasons why Petra is so well adored internationally is is how intact it is. You know, these thousands of years later, um, but also how how well revered it is by you know the local community, by the many 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 archaeology teams that are there, um, by study students of Arabic like ourselves who have experienced it firsthand. I mean, I remember my favorite part of the of the 
um, entirety of Petra is the very top of it. It's this tiny little shrine called the High Place of Sacrifice um, that is the topmost peak of Petra. And it's this really long, windy, carved in stone, not really staircase, but kind of, that goes all the way toward the top, not really in a spiral. It's a very long zigzag. Um, and you can see the entirety of Petra. You can see some of their other little cities that are don't know what they're called necessarily, but other little Nabataean outcrops nearby um, and probably a straight path to the Saudi Arabian city potentially too. I didn't look that far, but it's just so incredible the the their use of like space, you know, obviously high fortified, but, you know, adding this mountaintop really as, as an outlook, I think is so wonderful. I don't know if you looked more into the high place of sacrifice in your research. It's just my very favorite portion of the three times I've been to Petra. Yeah, no, that that was really impressive to me too. And you mentioned earlier the monastery that's at the top of Petra. So most people who visit, I don't think actually walk up to that high place of sacrifice of the, the mm -hmm. monastery because it is an extra walk, but it is so worth it. I mean, you walk up these <laughs> stairs for, you know, like 45 minutes, what is it? Oh, and then you get up there and it's like walking into Petra all over again. And it's this incredible facade on um, in stone and it's just it's mind-blowing yeah it's the coolest point <laughs> I'm, it's I just so wanted... funny that while you guys are talking I'm over here being like oh my gosh yes I have been there it's been so long <laughs> I haven't been there in what four four years I think now um so in my mind I was like oh I remember the staircase I remember like <laughs> tripping <laughs> actually <laughs> on my way back down um but it, but it is absolutely beautiful uh and I think that that's one of the really fun things when we brought you on as a content writer we were very early on in our civilization so it is very fun that you got to choose that and a lot of your connection to Ben was through study abroad in Jordan. Um, so it's so cool that you guys have that, those memories together. Incredible. Yeah, I just, I'm just so uh, excited to have this Nabataean community here. You were, I think, our third or fourth civilization actually published. So thank you for sharing. I obviously have the Jordanian flag right behind me. Because um, <laughs> again, I know they're not just in Jordan, but Petra is. And that is just such a uh, huge connection for all three of us in our language and, and Middle East studies. So. Just thank you for, for sharing that, taking this challenge of, of writing 808 words only uh, and just really highlighting about the Nabataeans. Just I really appreciate it. Thank you. Definitely. It was a blast. Really quick, Coretta, just we're not necessarily going to throw this on our podcast as well. And for those of you who are listening who kind of have to jump off, uh, we will be putting all of this on our podcast, on Spotify, on Apple Music, Bloody Blahs, all of the cool places where it's podcasts are listened to for the most part uh we are there so so take a look um at the alphazaic podcast and i just want to hear coretta you did some work on some recommendations uh you're going into your you know next few projects what are you looking at uh going forward Ooh, i mean now that we're talking about the nabateans i'm, I'm thinking about all, all of the follow-up articles i could write um but you know, for anyone who hasn't looked at those recommendations, there are so many books and so much music. And I recommended a cookbook, which is a wonderful cookbook that you should check out. Um, I'm definitely going to be writing more about podcasts. So I recommended, my most recent recommendation was the podcast Aib, which means, well, go to the page and check it out. Go find out. <laughs> little plug there. Um, but I, I have a number of podcasts that I've been listening to. So stay tuned for those. 
Incredible. Well, thank you again so much, Coretta, for everyone tuning in. Um, please go check out uh, the Nabataean Empire and Civilizations 101 and all of the other ones finished. I mean, our website is alfusaic, that's A-L-F-U-S-A-I-C dot net. And we're on every single social media platform so you can listen to this conversation again. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you, Coretta, for this phenomenal work. Can't wait to see the 808 plus words that you can fill in the gaps of what you left out. Um, and Yayan. Uh, just so grateful to everyone in this community. Go Petra, go Jordan, and go the Nabatine Empire. Thanks again. Woo-hoo!